Why don't we give our praise team a clap of praise uh, this morning. Um, we've had a lot of people here early this morning around 6 o'clock setting up and we've had some uh, technical difficulties, you know, first time doing something like this, but I don't know about you, but I feel the presence of the Lord this morning. Amen. Yeah, I feel the presence of the Lord. It's good to be in Keao Town. Hallelujah. We're going to start a new series this week, uh, for the next four weeks, and it's our Christmas series, and we're calling it Good News. Would you say that with me? One, two, three, Good News. And we're going to practice a traditional Christmas practice that is called the Advent. Say that with me. Advent. So for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about specific, what we call doctrines or teachings through Scripture, specifically through this Christmas season of the Advent. And in Latin... The word Advent means uh, the coming or something that's coming. And it really focuses on two specific comings. Number one, the coming of Jesus as a child in a manger. manger. And number two, Jesus returning back from heaven to take his people, his ohana, home with him. Advent has a lot to do with Christmas and Easter together. Because we celebrate the coming of the Messiah in Christmas and the celebration of the resurrection of the king. Can I get a witness there, right? And so as we look forward to this contextual culture of Christmas here in Hawaii, I want us to look at the word hope. All right? Say that word with me. Hope. And I want to actually go through the Old Testament. And I want us to read a specific Old Testament prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to bounce around in a couple chapters, but the scriptures are very short and very, my hope is that you would understand what it means to celebrate Christ in this Advent, this coming season. Would you stand with me as we read the book of Isaiah? If you don't have your word, you can share with someone next to you. Or you can look up on the screen, but I encourage you, always bring a form of the Word of God. In Isaiah chapter 7, starting in verse 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a, what? Son. And shall call his name out loud, Emmanuel. Jump over to chapter 9. In verse 6, it continues to say, for unto us a what? Child is what? To us a son is given. I want you to hear these words straight from my mouth. And the government shall rest upon his shoulder. Let me say that again. And the government shall rest upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called, not just Emmanuel, help me out, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Father God, through your precious Son, Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, would you illuminate our minds today? If there's anything in our lives, God, that's not porno with you, would you strip it out of our hearts? Would you make us porno with you by the reading of Scripture, 
through the understanding of Scripture, through the application of Scripture. Lord, thank you for Christian Liberty Academy. Thank you for their kukua, their support. Thank you for their aloha, their love. Lord, thank you that they've allowed us to use this facility until you say otherwise. Thank you for your grace today and your mercy. We look to your hope. In your name we pray and God's ohana says loud and proud. Amen. You may be seated. I want to give you three different visuals of hope, all right? Now, this is not a biblical view of hope, but it has some kind of truth when it comes to the word hope. And so it's in memes, so just bear with me. But here's the first visual, right? When it comes to tax return, all right? Tax return hope. Read it with me, right? I don't always have... Let me say, help me out, Hawaiians. I don't always have... But when I do, say it with me, you know it's tax season. How many of you can concur with that, right? Some of you, I remember growing up in the homestead and we were a welfare family. You know, my, my, and you got credit for your children. I mean, Christmas was in February. Can I get a witness out there, right? Christmas was in February because taxes was done when? In January. And I could always expect a present in February. One of my favorite presents was a Fender American bass guitar from Music Exchange downtown across the Wong Stadium. I, it was, I mean, it was purple. You know what I'm saying? They called it Midnight Blue, but that bugger was purple, right? A mix of purple and all that. It was the prettiest bass I've ever seen, right? It had, a, it had nice a maple frets. And if you don't know what maple frets is, they're clear and white and they're smooth. It's not like, a, so Uncle's bass right there, it's not maple. It's probably rose. Rosewood. It's dark and all that. But maple uh, is more expensive. So I thought, man, how can my mother afford a $600 guitar in February? Well, let's read this again. <laughs> I don't always have money, but when I do, help me out, Hines, you know it's tax season. We hope for tax season, some of us, right? Like, like that's the kind of hope that we can agree with. Here, here's number two. When it comes to homework, right? Right, here's our comedian brother. He says, when somebody in your class reminds the teacher about the homework. Right? Right, teachers, that you guys understand? Like, like, I hope there's no homework, right? But brother, you better not say nothing, right? right here, here's the final hope, right? A field goal hope, all right? I hope I make this what? Field goal, right? Bird box, whatever the movie calls that. Like, like, think about it. I did this way before Elohim made that 55-yarder, right, on Friday night. But, like, this is the kind of hope we all have. Can you guys agree today? Uh, this is how we view hope, right? The Webster Dictionary is pretty accurate with these three visuals. It says this, that hope is to cherish, right, a desire with anticipation or to want something to happen or to be what? True. That is the Webster's definition of dictionary, right? Man, I can't wait for tax return season. Man, I, I, not me. I'm self-employed, so my tax returns don't really look great and all that because I have to pay both uh, employer and employee fee as a pastor out there. If you did not know that, I do that. And so we don't really look forward to tax returns. Some of you are like, yeah, thank you, Lord. I get 20 children, Kyle, I'm waiting for tax season, right? <laughs> That's my hope, baby. Hey, I get it. I've been there. I've done that, right? But, but the reality is that that's what hope does in a secular view, that hope is to cherish a desire with anticipation or to want something to happen or be true. And that's not far-fetched from a theological, biblical view 
of hope, but I think it's pretty accurate to say that if there's anything we know about hope, it's something we put our trust in. Hope is something we put our trust in. And I want you to see two questions. I want us to answer two questions on how we can respond to this idea of the Advent season, the coming of the Messiah, with these two simple questions and answer it biblically through our verses today. And the first question is this. Why is hope important? I want you to think about that. Don't answer it out loud. I want you to ponder on that thought, that question. Why is hope important. Well, if you are, have been in our teaching for the last few months or even years, you would know that we preach strongly on the doctrine of sin, that the answer to this question is very simple. Hope is important because every person on the face of the planet who has lived, who is living, and who will live are all hopeless people. Now, I'm not talking about their competencies like this morning when people can't plug in a plug, all right? I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about simply have no trust in anything. But there is a doctrine out there that was brought up in the mid-1800s that would rebuttal against this very understanding of hopelessness. There was a man, and if you've been in college, you learn about this philosopher. His name is Ralph. Waldo Emerson. And Ralph Waldo Emerson was a transcendentalist, which means that he believed that all, div- all nature was divine. Like Hawaiians, he also believed in animist belief that every single thing on the face of this planet has a spirit. And so he also believed as a transcendentalist that every person who accepts these ideas of conforming to government, conforming to sociability, right? Don't need to because they can have their own identity in themselves. In fact, it says it this way. It focuses, a transcendentalist focuses more on individualism, personal responsibility, and non-conformity. This individual is all about themselves, This person will debate and disagree with the doctrine of sin that everybody's hopeless. They would say that we have it in our own strength, in our own self, to be good enough for anything. In fact, I would say it this way. You, the individual, already have everything you need alone. You don't need nothing else. Now, you just need to believe in yourself, believe that you have the skills, believe that you are capable and believe that you are worth it here's the problem with the church today that is actually preached on sunday mornings sunday mornings people will preach this transcendentalist doctrine that we are good enough that we have everything in us to believe in ourselves to get the things done that we need to get done in fact as football coaches you hear it in football speeches you can do it just believe in yourself But we can all agree, right, that all humanity and all history has shown us one very truth. What? We're not all that. We are failures. We are not perfect. The doctrine of sin in Genesis 3 teaches us a big understanding of what sin does to affect us as we learned last week and the week prior. That sin separates us from a holy God. 
Therefore, if we're separate from a holy God, how can we get to God? And the reality is, Ralph Emerson did not get it right. In fact, we saw him at his deathbed in history. You can read it through history. He questioned everything he believed at the point of his death when he took his last breath. Everything he taught about conformity, about personal responsibility, about individualism, about our own ability, he questioned it at the end of his life. And scholars would say that he, they re, he really had no belief by the end of his life. So there needs to be a shift of argument to take place to identify why hope is important. And we got to look at our verses. Our verses give some clear understanding what hope is and what hope is not. So here's two things that we know about hope. Number one, our hope begins with a prophecy. The word prophecy in the Old Testament is a little different how we view in the New Testament. A prophecy in the Old Testament was an account of a thing, time to come. So 700 years before Jesus was birthed, this prophet named Isaiah talked about this advent. That a coming of a Messiah is on its way. He didn't give no timeline or specific timeline on that detail, but he did it's on its way. And what we see in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 is that there's clear details of this prophecy. And I want you to give, give you a very clear warning today. There are teachings out there where there is mystic information about Jesus still. Even with the Bible fully canonized and fulfilled, there's a lot of people that believe in new visions and new signs and new wonders. And we're not completely against miraculous things. But we know if it does not line up with the text of scripture, then it can't be true. If it does not elevate the gospel view of Christ, a high view of God, right, then it cannot be true. So therefore, we have to look at the verse and a very biblical understanding of understanding the Bible is always that scripture what? interpret scripture my opinion is not enough all right my opinion that we got to let scripture and so here's a few things that we give clear understanding about the prophecy number one there's a specific birth you can write that in your notes number one there is a specific birth in fact in verse 14 of chapter 7 it says therefore it says therefore behold the virgin shall conceive all right that word conceive is to birth a child Number two, we see a specific gender, all right? This is why you have to be very careful with different translations of the Bible because different translations of the Bible dismasculate God's gender. In this, there's a specific gender. What is that gender? Help me out. Son. What is a son? A boy, a male, right? Very, it's not a woman, all right? I? You sure? I know we live in a culture that redefined all that. But it's very clear that the specific gender of this virgin birth is a male, a boy, a son. We don't have to go through the scientific notions of that. Can I get a witness, all right? A man is a man and a woman is a Oh, my goodness. Come on, guys. All right. We also see a specific birth in the understanding that that, that, that that it was a virgin birth. It wasn't the way we reproduce as humans, but a virgin. And so this was a miraculous kind of birth. Thirdly, we see a specific name. 
And the name say it with me out loud. Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel we know in the New Testament. Matthew makes it very clear in his gospel account. It means God with us. I want to pick on a song from the late 80s. It was sung by actually a Hawaii graduate girl. Her name was Bette Midler, or is Bette Midler. And she sung a famous song uh, in the late 80s, you know, called uh, From a Distance, all right? And so from a distance, God is what? Watching us. Thank God that God is not watching us from a distance. Thank God that Emmanuel promises us that he is with us us. Can I get a witness out there? Like, if there's anything that jacks your soul up today, it should be that God is not looking from heaven down on us as puny man, but he's a personal God, and he is with us. The, the prophecies of this Messiah being born is very clear. He will be born through a virgin. He will be a male. He will be called, help me out, Emmanuel. Is that clear or what for you, right? Beware of preaching that leads you to mystic thoughts. Or what if, what if, the Bible is clear. Let the Bible, Scripture, interpret Scripture. And so we see this, that our hope begins with a prophecy in these verses. But number two, our hope is found in a promise, right? A promise, another word for promise could be covenant, right? It's different from a contract, right? Contracts are made to be broken. Covenants are not made to be broken because the covenant is not based on what man brings to the table, but the covenant is based on what God has brought to the table. What has he brought to the table? His precious son. I want you to see what Isaiah 9, 6, how it breaks down. Here's clear details about the promise. Number one, it will be a makana. It will be a gift, number one. Look at that. Number one, six, the reading says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is what? Given. Right? That's a promise. God will give us his son. Number two, we see a sacrifice. Now this part of the text makes it a little challenging because the Orthodox Jews saw these verse right here where it says, after the son will be given, he says, and the government shall be upon what? his shoulder. They weren't looking for the Jesus like you and I know. They're looking for an Alexander the Great. They're looking for a warrior, one with a physical sword, one who could command a physical army, one who was born in a palace. This is the kind of Messiah these Orthodox Jews were looking for, but we know the Messiah that we're talking about is a Messiah of humility, that he wasn't born, not even at Hilo Hospital, and we blame Hilo Hospital for all they do. That was a five-star compared to where Jesus was born, right? He was born in a manger. He was born next to doo-doo. For real. He was born next to stink animals. You can't get more humble than that. So, so what does it mean that the government will rest upon his shoulders? Well, this is the sacrifice of Christ. That he will take the penalty of God's main judgment on the cross for you and me. And I love it how uh, Tony Evans said it last night. He said this, what God demands, he will always provide for us. Now, let me, let me say it again. Because if you like me, graduate from Hilo High, we win state championships, but not so much academics, okay? All right? 
Just joking. But listen to me. What God demands, he always provides. The Bible says we needed a remedy. Those of us who have been hopeless because of our sin nature, we need someone to answer the remedy of sin. What was it? It was a gift. Who? Emmanuel, the son of God. Why? So that those who would believe would be saved. Thirdly, we see that he would send a helper, right? That word for helper is wonderful counselor. In John chapters 14 and chapter 16, talks about the Holy Spirit of God that would be our helper. Jesus said, I got to go because when I go, I'm going to ask the Father to send the wonderful helper, right? He's going to be a counselor. He's going to help us through all things. Man, I cannot understand the Bible. I'm not smart enough. It wasn't, your, it wasn't your decision to handle it anyway. God has called his spirit to make sense of it. Amen. Fourthly, that God would be a confidant to us. How is he a confidant to us? Well, he would be a mighty God. Look at the verse. It says he would be our wonderful counselor, but also he would be our mighty God. He's a confidant. We can have confidence that God is mighty. The Old Testament could see all this through the lives of Joshua and Moses and Abraham, those who fought battles. In the book of First Chronicles chapter 20, you see King Jehoshaphat very scared against these armies that's coming against God's people. And God said, all you got to do, Jehoshaphat, is stand still and let me fight your battle. But some of us, when we are in trial, we try to fix it ourselves, right? You don't have to. It said that God has given us a gift. He has given us a sacrifice. He has given us a helper. He will give us a confidant. But also he will give us a relationship. A relationship with who? Himself. It says this, that he would be our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, and thirdly, help me out, everlasting father. I love this. Because what this means is no matter what I do or don't do, he will always be my daddy. Now, that does not mean that we can do whatever we want. I get it. But if it's the true gospel, the genuine gospel that we preach from scripture, then what God starts in us, he must fulfill because God does not renege his words. He's a God of promise. He's a God of truth. To say that he would not keep it would not make him God, but he is God. He does what he says he will do. He gives us a relationship with him. Thank God God's not sitting on his throne looking down at us. But he's given us an intimate relationship with him through this promise. Lastly, he's our hope. He's our hope. Look at me. It says that he's our wonderful counselor. He's our mighty God. He's our everlasting father. And help me out. He's our prince of peace. Jesus says in his high priestly prayer of John 17 that this peace I give you is not like the world gives you. In fact, in all of Paul's writings in his 14 letters, the epistles in the New Testament, there's a, there's a significant phrase that Paul uses to address all of the Christians. He says, grace, and help me out, and peace to you. And I want you to see this because I think this is very clear. Because we talked about it last week. Maybe we don't experience peace 
because we haven't genuinely experienced grace. And therefore, when Paul recommends this statement that grace and peace to you, he says that when we realize that we don't deserve God's grace, we don't deserve any, we can't earn a relationship with God. It is at that very moment we experience true peace. Think about it this way. Had 20 of us, 6.30 in the morning, setting up. And I'll be honest, I lack grace. Some of us lack a little bit more grace inside the room. Sitting up thinking that everybody knew what they were doing. That ain't true, all right? But the reality is, I was thinking about this. It could be just me setting it up. We can't choose and pick who to be gracious with. Only God can do that. But what grace does, grace gives us peace. He says he would be not just any peace, he would be our prince of peace. He would love us through these hard times. He would be with us through this time of Heva and Opala and Pilakia. He would be through, look at this reality truth. God demonstrates to us, how, look at this piece. God demonstrates to us how he would rescue the hopeless. And it would be the same way he made creation through himself. The way God created the heavens and the earth would be the same way God would restore hopeless people. What you mean? Is he going to say, let there be light? Well, not entirely true. It's not going to be just through words now. It's going to be through his son. Colossians 1 says it this, that everything was made by him, through him, and help me out, for him. God promises that. And now we look 2,000 years after the cross, we see a beautiful picture of good news. What is that? What God demanded, he provided for. A perfect remedy through his perfect son. But I want you to see through these words how God is consistent with doctrine. Because there's a consistent doctrine in these verses. And it's the doctrine of what makes every other doctrine pure and holy. You ready? The doctrine of the Trinity. Look at this. He said that he will send a child. Who's the child in the Trinity? Jesus. He said he will send a helper. Who's the helper in the Trinity? The Spirit. He said he would send an everlasting Father. You can't get more easy than that. Who is that in the Trinity? God the Father. You can see God at work through his holy Godhead, the Trinity. Everything we know from all other doctrines stems from this one doctrine, that God is Father, God is Son, and God is, help me out, Holy Spirit. Now, they're not three separate gods. They're three distinct persons as one Godhead. And why is there joy in that? Because God said, let us make man in our image. He didn't say, let let me make man in it. He said, us. He's talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1, 24, 25. And we see this beautiful picture of God's promise through the hope of the Prince of Peace, who 700 years later, after Isaiah prophesied this, would be a baby in a manger. Christ. Jesus. And there's really two things we can hold on to 2,000 years after this birth. What is it? Number one, the work of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talks about how Jesus lived his life. From birth all the way to the point of death. 
First Peter says it this way about the work of Christ. He said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to what? His great mercy. He has caused us to be what? Born again to a what? Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This should make you shout glory this morning because nothing you do or I do can rescue us from our hopelessness. But scripture is clear that God did what we could not do for ourselves. While we were at our worst, God, in his grace and in his mercy, gave us his best. And his best, hey, listen to me, his best wasn't like that Black Friday deal that will get beat up in a couple months. His best was himself. His son came to earth to give us what we don't deserve, a relationship with a holy God that is bigger and greater than anything we have on this earth. That's the gospel. That's really the only message we have. If we preach on anything else but the gospel, we're missing out on the true essence of the king of glory. What? He has come to rescue sinners, hopeless people from death into life. I don't need more of Zeke. I need more of Jesus today. That's the truth. Thank God for the finished work of Jesus Christ. But secondly, right, we see the work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 says it this way, verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children of God. So, so the question to this, right, would be, how do I know I'm a Christian? How do I know I'm a believer? Well, read that scripture slowly with me. One, two, three. The Spirit himself bears witness. Stop. How do I know I'm a Christian? The Spirit. Now, now listen to me. Because this is where, where we can get left or right. The spirit is, in all, is always in accordance with the what? The word. There's no emotional fluff. There's, oh, I got to feel him. Oh, I got to, I got to get him. Something like that. It's, it's, you're, you're overthinking it, Hawaiian. Come back to earth. All right? The spirit and the word is in unity with each other. Are you with me? How can you say, man, I can't hear from God, Kaho? My question would be, have you been in your word? I'm in agreement with the cessationist, the one who believes some things have ceased. I believe that, that some things can only be communicated through scripture. Mostly, I mean, I mean, that should be true for everything. Everything, right? They should be in communication with scripture. You can't tell me you got a sign and a wonder and it has nothing to do with the gospel. Right? All right, so, so the reality, how do I know that I'm a believer in Christ? The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are what? Children. Doesn't that give you hope today? Doesn't that bless you today? I want you to see, these, these are two reasons that give us clarity about the hope we discover in the person and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, because I get it. I get it, right? 
our spiritual maturity will never be determined about how much times you come to church. Though being here is important. Our spiritual maturity happens when we are in what our elders have been talking about, the valley. We heard a preacher say it once, and we shared about it this morning. He said, I learned nothing on the mountaintop. Everything I've learned has been in the valley. Because in the valley is where there's brokenness. In the valley is where people are hurting. In the valley is where sin abounds. And I want to give you some joy this morning. But when the mountaintop experience takes place, we can always thank God for the valley. God, I just can't, I can't handle it with my children. I get it. I can't handle my children too. And you guys know my kids. I, I just can't handle my spouse. I get it. I just can't handle my job. I, I get it. But listen to me. If you hear anything from this, this is why today's message is good news. Because what God does in the valley, right? What God does in the valley is for our good and his glory. Enjoy, listen to me. So enjoy, say it with me, the valley. If you're not going to enjoy the valley, you'll never find joy in Christ alone today. You're going to look for more money. Trust me, get all the money in the world. That's going to give me joy. I wish everything was free. I don't like to spend money. But the only thing that's free is Jesus. But it costs the Father everything. So, last question and we be Pauhana. How should we respond then? How should we respond to our text today? Well, remember I said that the word Advent means coming. We should respond with this one simple word, expectation. May we expectate God's glorious reminder that he is faithful, he is just, He's forgiving. He is enough. And guess what? He has given us the valley to be reminded by that. We are to expect. What do I, what do I mean that? We are to expect that God's going to do amazing things through our family. We are to expect that God's going to do amazing things through our church family. We are to expect that God's going to do amazing things through our brokenness. Right? God cannot use a proudful person. So he's going to do what he has to do in the valley to get you broken. Right? He's even going to use this irritating rain, right, to, to distract me from communicating the gospel of Christ. Where do we go from here? Let, let's expect God to do what only he can do. Amen. Amen? Look at what the Holman Bible Dictionary says about hope. It says, hope is the confidence that what God has done for us in the past guarantees our participation in what God will do in the future. Can I get a witness out there, right? And here's the good news about Christmas. And I'll end it with this as our band comes up. The good news about Christmas is this. 
that God has collided hopeless people with a hopeful promise and who have fulfilled it through the hope of glory. Who? Say it with me out loud. Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? God, thank you for your glory. God, even as the rain goes on right now, thank you for your blessings. The po mai ka'i, the ho'o mai ka'i, the kanilehua, as we call it as Hawaiians, but we know it comes from you, God. The rain, the ua, that showers us, that, that blesses our aina. God, we pray in your precious name that you would give us the peace that passes all understanding. With every head bow and eye closed, I want to have a time of response. And just where you are, I want to encourage every one of you to do two things. I want you to say a response prayer after me. And if you believe in this prayer and you've not fought trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior at all, that you'd make this time a moment you would trust in Jesus. Secondly, if you're already a believer, that you would continue on to be challenged by the sermon today and you would respond in song. If you understand what I just said, would you nod your head yes? So everyone, just say this response prayer with me. There's no power in what we say but there's power in what God says therefore this we're in response to what God has says but say Jesus forgive me of being hopeless I give you my heart I give you my body I give you my soul would you rescue me would you save me I repent of my ways and I trust in you as my Lord and Savior in the name of the Father, the Son.